Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. As your pastor's already alluded to, um, I was here... Uh, I think November of 2019 and I was thinking on the drive on the way over here this afternoon that man a lot has changed in the last 15 16 months a lot has changed but you know what through all of that I'm thankful that I serve a God who never changes that's right I'm thankful that he's the same yesterday today and forever There's no variableness in him, neither shadow of turning. Amen. I'm thankful that I serve a God who never changes. I am the Lord thy God, and I change not, is what he told Israel. Amen. And I'm thankful that we serve a God who never changes. Politicians will change. Governments will change. But God is that one constant who will never change. And I'm thankful that I'm serving that kind of God in the house today. Amen. And I'm thankful to feel his presence in this room tonight. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I am going to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I will read verse number 1 of 1 Samuel 17. And as you're finding that, we'd like to give honor this evening to the leadership of this congregation. Give honor to your bishop tonight and their family. And also give honor to Pastor McGee and his wife and their family as well. Amen. How many know that you're blessed with great leadership in this church? Amen. And I give them honor tonight. And it's good to be back in Illinois this evening with you. Amen. And it's also good to have Klein with me tonight. Amen. A couple of my children were sick and he escaped all that. And so he decided to come with me on this trip and get out of all that mess. And so I'm glad that he's with me. He's keeping me in in check, keeping me... Uh, well behaved and so I'm glad he's with me tonight Amen 1 Samuel chapter 17 in verse number 1 one verse of scripture tonight the Bible says now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko which belongeth to Judah and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephes The Philistines had gathered their armies to battle. The Bible tells us that they pitched or they camped between Shoko and Azekah in a place called Ephes Demim. I want to preach to you for a few moments tonight and I hope it makes sense once we get into this. But I want to preach to you something that I just feel like the Lord has pressed into my spirit for this congregation. My title for you tonight in my sermon that I feel to preach is simply the boundary of the blood. The boundary of the blood. Can we lift our hands one more time all over this house? And as our hands are lifted, can we just lift our voices from side to side and front to back? Oh, and let's ask the Holy Ghost to speak to our hearts and our minds and spirits. In the name of Jesus, God, we need to hear from you tonight, Lord. God, we need your spirit to move in this house. God, direct our minds and our hearts, God. In Jesus' name. Come on, why don't we give him one more great hand clap of praise in the house? In Jesus' name, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The who of the story is a boy named David and a man named Goliath. David was born in the land of Judah of Bethlehem, and he was the eighth and youngest son of an Ephratite man named Jesse. And most of David's adolescent years were balanced between his two passions, tending his father's sheep and playing and writing music. Goliath hailed from this Philistine city called Gath. 
And according to the Bible, his height was six cubits and a span, which meant uh, this man stood anywhere between eight and a half to nine feet tall. But not only was he someone who towered over many, if not all, of his adversaries, uh, but he was also a man whom the Bible calls the champion of the Philistines. In order to fully comprehend exactly what the Bible is inferring, we must understand that that word champion comes from the Hebrew word which literally means a middle man or a man that stands between the two. And the idea is that this champion was a man who stood between two opposing armies and fought as a representative of his army. And in order to stand in the middle and to serve as a middleman, if you are going to fight as a representative of your army, understand with me, you had to be more than just some common soldier. You had to be more than someone who just desired to hold a sword and serve your nation. But your prowess on a battlefield had to surpass the rest in which you marched beside, and no doubt Goliath was, an undoubtedly a legend of war. The what of the story is found within that same chapter of 1 Samuel 17 when we continue reading how the Philistines stood on one side of a mountain and the Israelites stood on the opposite side and between them was a valley. And the Bible says that for 40 days this champion of the Philistine army, Goliath, would emerge and twice a day for those 40 days he would defiantly issue the challenge for the Israelites to send him their middleman so they may fight together. This was the custom in which many battles were won and lost. Two middlemen meeting and fighting with everything on the line. And some 80 times Goliath stared God's people in the face and made the statement that if your man is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants. The win, according to most, occurred between 1027 and 1025 B.C. In order to understand the why of the story, we must backtrack to the book of Exodus because it is there where you and I read of how the Lord had promised Abraham that the promised land of Israel would include the territory of the Philistines. And because of this, conflict would assuredly ensue. Even after Joshua, had taken the mantle and continued to lead Israel throughout the land. He makes mention of how the land of the Philistines was one of the areas that still remained to be defeated. And because the Philistines had not been eradicated, they became that perpetual thorn and constant antagonist toward the nation of Israel. And their wars continued to spill through a time when judges had been appointed to rule. Jephthah and Shamgar and even Samson fought against this Philistine militia. These battles between the Israelites and the Philistines stretched through the days of Eli until they erupted in the setting of our text tonight. Hang on to me now because the truth is the who, what, when, and why of the story is something that all of us are very accustomed to. The familiarity bleeds out of the text because the the story of David and Goliath is one of those Sunday school classics we learned about at a very young age. No doubt the battle of David and Goliath has become one, if not the most recognizable passages in that Bible that you're holding tonight because of the repetitious attention that we have continually given to it. But let me just let you know exactly where I'm coming from this evening because I have not come to this pulpit to preach about the who or the what or even the when or the why but the premise of my sermon will be found in the where of the story because for years every detail of the story has captured and garnered our attention but I've come to look at that one detail we have possibly overlooked and I believe when we see the where of the story it's going to bring an entirely different dynamic to the story tonight the Bible tells us that the Philistines had gathered together their armies to battle and they pitched between Shoko and
Hezekiah in a place called Ephes Demim. Look carefully now at the primary places mentioned within that one verse. The Philistines had camped between Shoko and Hezekiah in Ephes Demim. Now you must know those words Shoko and Hezekiah both come from Hebrew words which literally mean to fence in or to fence about. But they camped between the fences in a place called Ephes Demim. And I've come to remind us it was in that same place where David would later go face to face with that man Goliath. And it's not a coincidence that this was the very place that David would later kill Goliath because I've come to this pulpit to remind this congregation it matters where you fight your adversary. I'm trying not to preach before I get there. But when you begin to look closer at this location, Ephes Demim, where the Philistines had camped, it's a compound word because the word effect simply means to cease or to end. And the word Demim literally means blood or drops of blood. You must understand with me the word effect means more than just the cessation or the end of a thing. It literally means, Pastor, to go no further. It's where you and I get the term boundary. And so in essence, it's literally the line drawn in the sand. And so in its totality, Ephes Demim literally means the boundary of the blood. And so it's here in Ephes Demim at the boundary of the blood where the Philistines have traveled between the fences. And this is the place that they fight the Israelites at. Now there are some who have come to suggest the reason why this place became known as the boundary of the blood is because when you look into that location, they tell me, Pastor, because of the continual plowing by farmers in that location, the red clay had been exposed. And if you were to look down in that valley, it literally looked like blood was flowing in that valley. But as you continue to dig into the historical records, you would be quick to realize it gained the name the boundary of the blood because of the battles that were fought in that location and the amount of blood that was shed in that location. So it's here in 1 Samuel 17 where the Philistines had once again made war against the Israelites but what they did not know is this time it was going to be different because this time they traveled between the fences and they arrived at the boundary of the blood. I've come to tell this congregation that the entire Philistine army had unknowingly set themselves up for a defeat when they tried to fight God's people at the boundary of the blood and so my message tonight is very simple the next time the adversary comes against you and the next time he comes against your family I've come to tell somebody that victory can be and victory will be obtained if you fight him at the boundary of the blood I've come to tell somebody there's a place we can go to there's a place we can stand at and victory will be ours, but you've got to stand at the boundary of the blood. Oh, somebody right now, you ought to lift your hands and just give God praise because there's a place we can go. <laughs> Goliath, he should have made war against Israel somewhere else. Goliath, you should have defied the God of Israel somewhere else. Goliath, you should have fought David anywhere else. But the moment you stood at the boundary of the blood, the tide turned and the momentum shifted toward the nation of Israel because as long as we fight inside the bloodline, the enemy cannot and the enemy will not prevail. I've come to tell this congregation there is a line in the spirit where the enemy is stripped and the enemy has no authority. There's a, I feel my Holy Ghost right now. There's a place you can go to. There's a place you can fight from if you'll stand at the boundary of the blood. 
There is a line of demarcation and it's imperative that we go to that place to fight our battles. When Japan surrendered to the Allies in 1945, the Korean Peninsula was split, they tell me, into two zones of occupation. The Soviets controlled North Korea while the United States controlled South Korea. And dividing the North from the South was a line called the 38th Parallel. And North Korea understands to this very day that if we cross that line, if I put a toe over that line, North Korea understands that we're not just fighting South Korea, but there's a military might that's gonna rise up in America and they're gonna come to their defense. Hey, church, I've come to tell you heaven can send reinforcements and heaven can come to your aid if you'll stand at that place. If you'll go to the boundary of the blood, you're not battling by yourself. You're not fighting alone. God can send help if you'll stand at the boundary of the blood. There is a spiritual line of demarcation and anytime the enemy gets too close to my home anytime hell gets too close to my family anytime the devil tries to come against the church we can rise up and use the power and authority that's inside the blood you may be no match for Goliath by yourself but you need to understand this you're not in the battle alone heaven can come to where you are I'm telling somebody in this house you ought to go to the bloodline tonight and make war against the adversary because if you'll stand at the bloodline you can be and you will be victorious but I've come to tell us which side of the blood we're on has always mattered let me make my premise somewhat clear tonight maybe this is just me but it took me almost eight years to get this sermon right. Because the Lord began to do with me about this in 2013. And it was just a few months ago that I finally wrapped my mind around this. But in October of 2013, Klein had just been born. Just a few days old at the time. And I had yet to go in full-time ministry, traveling, evangelizing. And because I was still working a full-time job, my wife said, I'll watch Klein tonight while you and Heidi go in the bedroom and sleep. And so I take Heidi in the bedroom to sleep that night and about 3.15 that morning, Heidi wakes me up out of a dead sleep, screaming as loud as I've ever heard her scream before. It was a scream that shook me so much I thought something had happened. Either she fell off the bed, hurt herself, or maybe it was a bad dream. So I jump out of bed, cut the light on, and there's tears rolling down her face. You can tell something is visibly shaking her. And once I finally get her composed, I said, Heidi, what's going on? Did you have a bad dream and she said no daddy a few moments ago I woke up and I saw a figure in the corner of our bedroom she's barely three years old trying to communicate this she said daddy I woke up and there was a dark figure standing in the corner of our room and she said it started walking closer to my bed and she said it pointed its finger at me and she said daddy in my mind I began to get scared and fearful she said daddy I don't know what it was saying but I got scared and I began to scream and so once I calm Heidi down and get her back to sleep daddy doesn't go back to sleep because daddy understands there's something in my house that does not belong in my house God, I could preach right there for a long time. If we ever got sick and tired of the adversary coming in our house, hey, that's the first step. You've got to get sick and tired of dealing with what you're dealing with. Daddy didn't go back to bed, but daddy hit his knees and daddy started praying because I understood there's something in my house that does not belong in my house. 
I don't get three minutes into that prayer meeting when all of a sudden that spirit comes back in my room and it points its finger in my face and in my mind I can hear it cursing me. It's cursing my family. It's cursing my ministry and my marriage. It's doing everything it can. And for about 15 minutes, Brother McGee, I said everything I knew to say. I said every fancy thing I could think of and it still stood there and it still kept defiantly staring at me. Till all of a sudden, about 15 minutes into that prayer meeting, it's like the light bulb went on. And before I realized it, I pointed my finger back in that spirit's face and I said, devil, you better never forget this. The blood of Jesus is against you. And as soon as I said it, that spirit let out a scream and ran out my bedroom and ran out my house because I'm telling this congregation, there's power if you'll use the blood. There's an authority if you'll use the blood. I chased it out of my house. I, I, I chased it in my driveway. Don't leave my house. Get off of my property. Don't just leave the confinements of my house. I want you off of my property. And I watched it as it topped the hill and went down the road somewhere. And I'm standing there four o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden it's like the Lord picks my spirit out of my body and I'm now hovering over my house. I know I'm in the driveway, but I see my house. I see the tree line. I see my shed and the playground. When all of a sudden there's a stream of blood that begins to go around my property line and the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, son, he may step in the blood, but you've got power if you'll fight him in the blood. And I'm telling this congregation, hell may come in your house, but you've got power and you've got authority if you'll stand at the bow with somebody right now. You ought to throw your hands up and use what God has given you. I'm telling somebody in this house, hell may stand on the other side of the bloodline, but if you'll stand on the right side, hell is stripped, and hell has no power, and hell has no authority, but you've got to stand on the right side of the bloodline. I've come to tell us that the side of the blood we're on has always mattered. In Exodus, God had been dealing with Pharaoh through Moses to release the Israelites. But we understand because of Pharaoh's stubbornness, his heart begins to harden. And so plagues were sent throughout the land. We know the story. Water was turned into blood. Frogs were released. Lice began to spread. Wild beasts, which many believe were scorpions, were released. Diseases swept through and killed the livestock. Boils formed on their body. Hell rained from the sky. Locusts devoured the land. And darkness fell upon the land. But Pharaoh still refused. And so God speaks to Moses again. And he says, this time I'll send the tenth and the final plague. But I'm not coming after livestock this time, Moses. I'm not sending darkness this time, Moses. I'm not sending pestilence this time. This time, I'm gonna release the death angel and he's gonna walk throughout the land of Egypt and he's gonna take the firstborn. You know what's amazing to me about that? Is God put no parameters on where that death angel could and could not go. That death angel could have walked in and taken the firstborn of Israel just as easily as he took the firstborn of Egypt. But God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, I'm gonna give you a remedy. I want the families of Israel to kill a pure and spotless lamb and take a hyssop branch and strike the blood on the sides and the doorpost of the house. And the Bible says that night, as the death angel moved throughout the land and entered into every house, there was only one thing that was going to stop him from coming in. There was only one thing. It was the boundary 
of the blood that had been applied on that door. And your Bible says that the destroyer was unable to come in and smite those who had applied the blood because I've come to tell us he may get to our doorstep, but death cannot have us and the devil cannot destroy us if you're standing behind the boundary of the blood. It's amazing. On one side of that boundary, there's death. But on the other side, there's life. On one side of that boundary, there's weeping and there's mourning. But on the other side, there's rejoicing and victory because the side of the blood you're on has always mattered. And to take it a step further, God then tells Israel that the blood that you've placed on your door, it's gonna be a token upon your house. That word token literally means an oath uh, or a signal such as a flag. And can I interject and tell us right here, uh, there's going to be times in our life uh, when the enemy presses in uh, and it feels like it's outside the doors of our home. But I've come to tell us if the blood has been applied to our house, if the blood has been applied to our life, there is a signal, there is a token, there is a boundary that you can fight behind. There is a flag that God has placed in the ground that hell cannot cross. Maybe that's why the prophet Isaiah said this, that when the enemy shall come in like a flood, God is going to raise up a standard. He's going to raise up an oath. He's going to put a flag on the ground. You know what that standard was? It marked a territory. It was a line of demarcation. It was God saying, wait just a minute. Those are my people that you're coming against and you can't cross the boundary. And I'm telling somebody in this house, you can stand at a position of victory if you'll fight your battles at the boundary of the blood. And I believe what God desires to do in this house is to remind some individuals and some families in this room that he's ready to pierce the ground and he's ready to put a standard between us and the adversary. He's ready to put a signal. He's ready to put an oath between us and the adversary that the church is fighting. The blood was the difference maker for Israel and it was the difference maker for David. The armies of Israel had collided multiple times with the Philistine militia, but this time, this time their champion, their middleman, their representative fell at the hands of a boy simply because David fought him at the boundary of the blood. If you're in this room tonight and you've ever found yourself asking the question, how will I prevail? How will I get the victory? How's my family gonna come out of this? How am I gonna overcome Goliath? I've come to inform you where you fight those battles have always determined the outcome of those battles. The story of David and Goliath gives us the answer. How am I gonna overcome? And how will I get the victory? You've got to go to the boundary of the blood. For years, it's amazing, for years, people have called Goliath a giant. But you know what's even more amazing? David never calls him a giant. <laughs> David looks at him and calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. That changes the entire narrative of the story. Can I go deeper into this? Is this all right? When David calls him an uncircumcised Philistine, you know what David's telling us? This is not some Sunday school classic story that you learned about at five years old. It's deeper than that. Because when David calls him an uncircumcised Philistine, he's telling us that this is a covenant battle. What I mean by that is it was God's people going against the forces of an adversary. Because in the Old Testament, the covenant God made with his people was a covenant through circumcision. God instructs Joshua to circumcise the people on the eighth day to roll away the reproach of Egypt off of them. And so when David looks at Goliath, he doesn't call him a giant. David understands it's something deeper than that. You're not just nine feet tall. You're the middleman. You're the representative. You're uncertain 
circumcised. You're at the adversary of God's people. David understood there's something more going on. And I believe the story of David and Goliath is the perfect depiction of the spiritual warfare where we as the church are in right now. Because we are warring uh, against unholy alliances. Uh, we are fighting uh, against evil spirits. Uh, we are contending uh, against dark forces. Uh, and if we're going to fight those battles, uh, you better fight them at the right place. God's people, the Israelites, were fighting the Philistines who were not covenant people. When you begin to study the Philistines, you would be quick to realize that they worship three gods, Ashtaroth, Dagon, and Beelzebub. And archaeological findings have come to show, show us uh, that the Philistines were so superstitious uh, that when they went into battle, uh, they would carry images of those gods uh, into the battle with them. Uh, and there's commentaries that I've read that tell me uh, that the chances were good uh, that if you were to look at the mountain that the Philistines were on, uh, you would see those images. Uh, Ashtaroth, uh, Dagon, and Beelzebub uh, littering that entire hillside. And stepping out was Goliath, the middleman who represented all of those spirits. It's amazing that the first god they worshiped was Ashtaroth because she was a Phoenician fertility goddess of war. And I know we've got some young ears in the house, so I'll just move through this quickly. But we know the statement, make love, not war. That's where that statement came from. It came from Ashtaroth, that goddess of war. She's a spirit of compromise that looks at those that she's fighting against and says, let's not fight over this. Let's not shed blood over this. Let's make love, not war. You know what she was saying? Why don't you compromise what you believe and just adopt what I believe? And if there's a spirit that's against the church today, it is a spirit of compromise. God have mercy. I feel my Holy Ghost right now. If there is a spirit that the apostolic church better fight against, if there is a spirit we've got to overcome and kill, it is a spirit of Ashtaroth. It is a spirit of compromise. Don't preach that anymore. Don't do that anymore. There's a spirit of compromise that must be destroyed. And when Goliath stepped out, he was representing a spirit of compromise. <laughs> Why do you think David looked at him and said, I'll come to you in the name of the Lord? He was punching him right in the stomach saying, you have all these gods? but I'm coming to you in the name of the only true God. And the first spirit that met him was a spirit of compromise. But then there's Dagon, half fish, half man. He is a spirit that has become known as an entertainment-driven spirit because what's amazing is this. When the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant, where did they place it? In the temple of Dagon. Because you know what it was trying to tell us? Uh, when you add the spiritual side of it, uh, let's take God's presence. Uh, let's take God's glory uh, and let's put it in front of Astra or Dagon. Uh, let's put God's glory uh, in front of a spirit of entertainment. Uh, you ain't got to act like this every time you come to church. Uh, why do you preach that hard? Uh, why do you work yourself up like that? Uh, listen, I've come to tell us uh, we don't need to be entertained. Uh, we need a move of the Holy Ghost. Uh, every time we come through those doors, uh, every time we're in God's house, we need God's glory to fill the room and there's a spirit of entertainment that is staring the church in the eyes I was preaching somewhere a few months ago this ain't a part of my notes but here we are and I've been here before y'all know who I preach I'm going to be sweaty. My shirt tail's going to be out. My tie's going to be sideways. Uh, it may not be good, but I'm going to preach with everything that I got. Uh, and I remember preaching a service uh, somewhere between here and there is all I'm going to say. Uh, and after the service was over, uh, shirt tail was out. Uh, back of the suit jacket was soaking wet. Uh, ties hanging sideways. Uh, and somebody comes up to me after church uh, and says, you know what, young man? <clears throat> you really don't have to preach like that anymore. <laughs> And I don't know if I still had a little preacher jazz on me or what. 
because I spoke before I thought. And I said, sir, if I don't get excited telling them, they're not going to be excited to hear it. And I said, listen, this is how I was raised. This is how I was brought up. I was brought up in a church that the preacher got behind the platform in the pulpit and he just preached God's word. Listen, don't entertain me to death. Don't cradle me and don't tickle my ears. Tell me what God has to say. Let's have a move of the Holy Ghost. Let's have God's glory fill the house. There's a spirit of Dagon that wants to grab us and move us to a place. where we would rather be entertained. And then, the spirit of Beelzebub, when Goliath stepped forth, he represented compromise. He represented entertainment. And then there's Beelzebub, Lord of the flies, Lord of filth or a spirit of perversion. And if there is a spirit that's been released in this nation, Yes, we're fighting compromise. And yes, we're fighting entertainment. But there is a spirit of filth. And there is a spirit of perversion. I feel something rising up in this house right now. There's a spirit of perversion that wants to try to creep its way into our churches. And I'll tell you the contact it wants to grab a hold of. It wants our young people. It wants our kids. There's a spirit of perversion that wants to warp their mind and make them question what they are and who they are. I'm telling you, it's not a coincidence. It's more than politics. It is a spirit of perversion that's been belched out of hell but I've come to tell us we can't overcome it we can't be victorious if we'll fight that spirit at the boundary of the blood if there's ever been a time to fight against compromise and entertainment if there's ever been a time to fight against perversion it's the hour that the church is living in right now and the Bible calls Goliath the middleman because he was a representative of what David was fighting against. It's amazing to know that David had to go down into the valley of Elah. From the Hebrew, it comes from the root word called fear. So it's amazing that David had to descend off the mountain and into a valley of fear and face this man that represented those spirits. And Goliath has become known as a topology of the devil that every one of us have to fight. And the spirit of Goliath is a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of intimidation. It's a spirit that tries to say the battle's too hard and you're going to have to fight too long. But I've come to tell us it's no time for us to be fearful and it's no time for us to be intimidated because if David overcame Goliath, then the church can overcome Goliath now. It doesn't matter how much compromise they try to push our way. It doesn't matter how much they try to get us to entertain each other. It doesn't matter how much perversion they try to push and pump toward us. There's a place we can go to. There's a place we can stand at and God will give us the victory. I will not be intimidated. And I will not live a life of fear. Because there were those who believed Goliath's name and its original meaning literally means stripped. And they point to Colossians chapter 2 and 15 when the Bible tells us that by Jesus going to the cross and shedding his blood, he spoiled or he stripped principalities and powers and made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. Because you must understand the terminology Paul is using. In those days after a battle, the defeated commander was publicly stripped of everything in front of his men, and he was publicly humiliated. And then the winning commander would take the defeated commander and the remaining part of his army, and he would lead them down the city in a parade, and people would make fun of them, and they were publicly humiliated. And then the commander would cast that defeated commander down on the ground and he would make him his footstool because it demonstrated to everybody there watching that his power and his authority 
has been transferred into my hands. And I've come to tell us, Paul says that the devil was stripped of all of his power and authority at Calvary when Jesus shed his blood. And if Goliath is a type of the devil and David defeated him at the bloodline, can I tell us the story of David and Goliath was foreshadowing what Jesus was later gonna do on that cross. Because it's amazing that Goliath came from a city called Gath, which literally means the wine press. And that's why your Bible says in Revelation, Jesus, he treads out the wine press alone. He defeated hell at Calvary by himself. And David defeated Goliath through the help in the name of Jesus at that bloodline. And I've come to tell us hell was stripped of his power and authority at Calvary when Jesus shed his blood. And that's how David overcame Goliath. He was stripped and ripped of all of his authority simply because David fought him at the bloodline. He calls him an uncircumcised Philistine because it is a covenant battle. I told you earlier, circumcision was an Old Testament covenant for God's people. But let me make this full circle to make sense. God did not just relegate covenants to Old Testament. But in the New Testament, there's another covenant that comes rolling around. Because circumcision was Old Testament covenant, but baptism... It's New Testament covenant. That's why Paul writes in Corinthians, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. How is he the head of all principality and power? Because he stripped hell of their power and their authority at the cross. And Paul says he's all head of principality and power in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Paul is saying Old Testament covenant was physical, but New Testament covenant is gonna be spiritual. You put off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. And I'm telling this congregation, if you've been baptized in Jesus' name and if the blood's been applied to your life you're never at a disadvantage and you're never the victim because you've got the blood in your life and you can fight from a position of victory can I remind us that baptism is more than just religion Baptism is more than something that makes us feel better, and it does. Baptism is more than just getting wet, but we do. Can I tell us baptism is the entrance into the covenant relationship with God. The blood is applied, and yes, our sins are removed, but there is a line of protection that we can stand behind. There is a place in the spirit that my family's covered, and your family's covered. If you've got the blood, you're never a victim, and you're never at a disadvantage something happens when we're baptized in Jesus name at Calvary Jesus made the devil his footstool and that's why David goes on to write prophetically the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool And I'm telling some individuals in this house, I've come to preach to some families in this room tonight and tell you that it's time to rise up in authority and make the adversary that you're fighting against at your footstool. I've come to tell somebody David was always the underdog. When we hear about David and Goliath, the odds were always against David, but that's not further from the truth. David was never the underdog. Goliath was the underdog because as you fight in Inside the boundary of the blood. Doesn't matter what you fight. Doesn't matter what you come against. As they make their way to the keyboard tonight, if they would. I've simply come to remind this great congregation that it doesn't matter how much fear and intimidation hell tries to bring against us. The blood stripped him at Calvary. And the only power he has over us is what we allow him to have. If I've got the blood in my life, I'm not going to walk around with a victim mentality. 
If I've got the blood in my life, I'm not going to walk around with my head dropped, uh, barely making it to service after service. Uh, I'm telling everybody in this house, uh, if you've been buried with him in baptism, uh, the blood has been applied, uh, and that is the very place that you can stand behind and fight your battles. As we stand in this house this evening, I'm a young man. I'll be 33 in October. Brother McGee, I remember growing up, my dad pastored. And I remember being five, six, seven years old. Laying under pews, sleeping a lot of the time. But I remember like it was yesterday. Some elders, when those Sunday night services would start to just blow up. And I remember like it was yesterday, some elders would grab hands with some people that may have been struggling or in a fight. And I remember being six, seven, eight years old, hearing those elders say something that I did not understand then. But I understand now. They would grab them by the hands and they would say, I plead the blood. I didn't understand what they were saying then. But I understand it very well now. Anytime hell tries to come against me or my family, anytime the adversary tries to attack us, you can speak the blood. Listen, when we say I plead the blood, we're not begging God to help us. I'm afraid we're misunderstanding that statement because when we hear the word plead, we often hear, we think of somebody begging to help us. But when you plead the blood, you're not begging God, hey, if you've got time, can you come help me? That word plead is a lawyer's term. And when you rise up and plead the blood, you're literally telling the adversary, you've come far enough. And you're telling the adversary, there's a line that's been drawn in the sand. And I don't have to be intimidated. And I don't have to be fearful. Listen, I know that some of us, and we, we, we've had this cloak, this covering of fear ever since a few months ago. Uh, oh, what's going to happen now? What's going to transpire now? Uh, is the church going to suffer persecution? Uh, is the church going to have to go underground? I'm telling us tonight uh, that it doesn't matter what comes our way. Uh, if we've got the blood applied to our life. Uh, we're standing behind a line uh, that's never been penetrated. Uh, we're standing behind something uh, that's never been defeated. Uh, and if you've got the blood in your life, it's time to start using God has given us there's not a day that goes by when I don't wake up before I pray for anything else I say Lord I plead the blood over my family I plead the blood over my kids I plead the blood over my marriage and my home because I understand every day we're in a spiritual battle every day the devil does not take days off so we can't afford to take days off. Why don't we lift our hands right now? I feel the Holy Ghost. I remember preaching in the state of Texas, and I'm done after this. I was preaching a few years ago, a revival, state of Texas. Revival started on that Sunday morning. But a couple weeks before revival, Started this couple had come into that church first time being in an apostolic church and they had come from addictions they had been in and out of jail kids had been taken from them three or four times because of their addictions life was just in turmoil they come into church there in Texas where I was going to be at in two weeks God got a hold of them God filled them with the Holy Ghost and they were baptized two weeks later I start revival that Sunday morning. And during the altar call, they come running to the front. They grab the pastor and myself. Tears rolling down their face. They said, Pastor, you got to pray now. I said, Pastor, you know our story. You know how many times we've been in and out of jail. How many times we've been in and out of rehab. The jobs that we've lost, the money we've lost. He said, all of our life has been a fight and a struggle. And he said, but the last two weeks, it's almost been like it's turned up times 10. He said, ever since we stepped in this church two weeks ago,
He said, the battle is intensified. And he said, me and my wife are arguing and streaming at each other over things that don't even matter. He said, I can literally feel a presence come in my house. And he said, when that presence comes in my house, just fear and depression begins to grab a hold of us. And he said, Pastor, something's got to happen. Oh, we're not coming back. So that church, church goes on and church is winding down that Sunday night. And again, we're praying for him in the altar. And all of a sudden, I, I shake that man. I said, sir, can I ask you a question that's going to sound very, very strange? Two weeks in church. Doesn't know anything about apostolic. Doesn't know anything that we do or we preach. And I said, sir, this is going to sound very strange. But have you, have you anointed your house with oil? This is how I was raised. I said, have you plead the blood over your house yet? His eyes got real big and said, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, but if it'll help, let's go do it. So we load up in the truck. Me and the pastor, we follow them to their house. And we get out of that truck with oil in our hand. And as we stepped out of that truck, you could feel the demonic presence in that house. You could feel the demonic presence on that property. And we took that old pastor and we walked on the porch and we anointed that door just like they did in Israel all those years ago. And we said, Lord, this is your house now. I said, God, your presence lives here. Your glory abides here. We opened the door and we walked in. We prayed over every window. We prayed over every room. We prayed over every door that went in and out of that house. And the more we prayed, that presence began to lift. The more we prayed, that presence began to back up. And by the time the prayer meeting was over, angels began to fall in that house. And the glory of God filled that house. And they were refilled again. I'm telling somebody in this room tonight you've got the blood on your side it's time to use what God has given the church I'm done right now I wonder if we could step out of our pews right now I wonder if we could step out of our pews right now and I wonder if we could grab somebody in our family by the hand and as they lead us into praise and worship it's time to fight behind the bloodline right now it's time to plead the blood over our families over our marriages over our children Come on, it's time to stand from a position of victory. It's time to stand from a position of power and authority. Yes, the blood forgives, but the blood also protects. Come on, it's time right now as they play and sing. It's time to plead the blood of protection. It's time to plead the blood of authority. It's time to speak the power that God has given us in the blood. Come on, somebody ought to take authority right now in the Holy Ghost. Every attack can stop tonight. Every onslaught can cease tonight. If you take dominion and authority right now in the spirit. Well, night when I was sleeping, I felt a presence in my room. I looked down at the foot of the bed and there stood Mr. Gloom. Well, he tried to put his fear on me and I heard it. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.